and this is Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. So this week we're going to be talking about The Incredibles 2, the long-awaited uh, for 14-year comeback of The Incredibles. Yep. Um, but I guess we're going to take this first time, first few minutes, um, this is our very first podcast, um, and introduce who we are. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jordan Bennett. I am Jessica's worst half. Uh, we both work in the film industry. Uh, I work as a composer and sound designer and sometime producer and, you know, like everybody else, you know, I either want to be an actress or a news girl. <laughs> um, I'm Jessica Bennett. I'm a stuntwoman and writer and actress and just like anybody in the film industry, you kind of become a jack of all trades. But really and truly, um, Jordan and I are movie lovers. Mm -hmm. um, I fell in love with movies, um, you know, as a teenager, I didn't really grow up a movie file, um, but Jordan did. Yeah, I, uh, every time my dad was in town, because he was a professional musician, so he was gone pretty much every weekend, but he would pick me up from school, we'd go see a movie, even if we didn't necessarily really want to see it. Uh, the one I really remember for that was, uh, was, was it Stealing Harvard with Jason Lee and Tom Green? <laughs> and yeah, we both saw that and we were just like, okay, so that's something we did. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I mean, I grew up just loving movies. I grew up in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do and no one to talk to. So I just kind of thought that movies were the coolest thing in the world. And for whatever level we work at, I like being a part of it. And even more so, I like seeing them. Yeah. So, you know, we just kind of decided that, hey, let's talk about movies instead of uh, instead of having the whole conversation in the car on the way home. Let's record it and see if anybody else likes it. Yeah, we started seeing movies together. That was like our dates and it's still kind of our date night. Mm -hmm. um, and we just always find ourselves having even on the simplest of movies, having these really deep, crazy conversations. And we thought, well, maybe other people like to have these conversations and maybe there's a platform such as podcasts mm -hmm. where we can have these conversations, maybe invite others in, uh, which we'll be doing along the line. Uh, we're very graced to work in the film industry and have a lot of friends in the film industry, um, but also to share with you guys. And so hopefully over time we will hear your comments and we'll get to chat back and get to talk more movies with people. Yeah. And you know, I hope everybody enjoys this. You know, there are obviously, there's no, there's no shortage of let's talk about movie podcasts out there. You know, I'm a huge podcast fan. You know, how did this get made? It might be the best thing in the world. Uh, love James Bonding slash film cast, you know, everything like that. Uh, unspooled as well. Uh, pretty much anything Paul Shear does, I'll listen to. But uh, what makes ours different is that we're not, we're not critics who sometimes bring on people in the industry as guests. We're people in the industry and we're going to talk critically about the movies. And uh, Richard Roper, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. You know, I think that maybe sometime, you know, you know, I'd be willing to throw you a bone and have you come into our house and be on our podcast. Um, we are going to have, but we are going to have film people come. Oh, absolutely. Movies. But we're just talking from a, from a love of movies. Um, and of course, naturally, the, where we work in the industry is going to kind of shade what we feel and what we think. But moreover, we just wanted to share it because we love movies um, and we're a really cute husband-wife duo and you'll hear the pitter-patter 
of our dog's feet. Sometimes when we film in our um, home studio in Atlanta, Georgia, but we will also probably film or record some in Los Angeles. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll try and edit out the worst of the Charlie and Madison stuff, but uh, it may just happen sometimes. And, you know, I'm assuming that most people will forget that. So, enough of us. Let's talk about The Incredibles. All right. Um, so, what'd you think? Uh, can I say the pun answer? Okay. She just gave me the worst eye roll in the world, but I thought it was incredible. <laughs> That's right. She rolled her eyes at me again in case you wanted to know. <laughs> no, but really, seeing the first movie, it's something that even as a full-grown adult, the first Incredibles, I still watch and still really enjoy, and I didn't feel that the second one was trying to be the first one. No. I mean, almost to the point where I was a little like, okay, let's get on let's get on with it already. Uh, because, you know, the first movie ended so great with them all putting the masks on. And, you know, one of my favorite shots in the first movie is as uh, Mr. Incredible's looking around and seeing his family put the mask on. I can't remember who it is, but there's one who's already, like, in the middle of putting his mask on, and they're just ready to go, his or her mask. Uh, so with this one, I was like, okay, when are they all going to start being Incredibles together? So like it, but that's how it started. It, it started and then immediately took it away from you. Right, but you have to remember that they're still in the, the supers are still illegal. No, I mean, from a story standpoint, it totally makes sense. I'm saying from a fanboy standpoint, standpoint it didn't give me exactly what I wanted, but... I mean, I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan, so I'm used to that already. So it's just okay. it's just something I noticed as opposed to, like, a criticism of the movie. You oh, know? that's fair. Yeah. No, I thought it was really fun, and I thought um, it was really... Uh, I, what I really liked was how apropos, like, like girl power was. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't really... I don't mean that too on the nose, even though I'm a very big Spice Girls fan. Um, so, so I really appreciated that... Um, you kind of get to see Mr. Incredible struggle mm-hmm. without, with not being incredible. Without, and what's so sad is that he thinks not staying at home and doing what he does is not super. Well, it's interesting because there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff uh, in this movie that is kind of a callback to the first movie. You know, I think I think that you know nostalgia is just kind of baked into the recipe from the beginning at this point. Uh, so there were a lot of times where, you know, like you and I even said in the beat that we kind of had an idea on who the villain was. Uh, yeah. And, you know, because it was, you know, you asked me where I, why I went to where I thought it was. And I was like, well, because that's what it was in the first movie. You know, so like the first movie definitely starts with Mr. Incredible struggling with not being incredible. But the interesting twist on it this time is that he's already Mr. Incredible and he's been doing Mr. Incredible things for the entire part of the first movie. And this movie starts off exactly where the first one ended. And so he immediately, it's almost like, it's almost like he tasted his power and then was immediately shoved back down to the, to the side on there. So it just made it, it gave it a different layer of him feeling powerless. Yeah, but it was interesting though. And what I, I kind of love just kind of the modern commentary that this movie had is she was, a, she's out there kicking ass, taking names, saving the world. But he's really, and he's exhausted, he hasn't slept, he's trying to learn new math, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Jack-Jack has all these new powers, (laughs) and he's having to, like, deal with that, and stay, and I think it's a commentary, too, that stay-at-home dads are super, Mm -hmm. and stay-at-home families and people who take care of, you know, who are going to be super kids, 
who are going to be, you know, super, when they grow up, they need superhumans at home too. So just kind of like, them, I liked what it, it's commentary. Like he wasn't powerless. He wasn't not super. Yeah. Well, and an interesting twist to that is because, you know, they definitely did the Mr. Mom thing that most movies do whenever dad's like, whoa, 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 how do I take care of my kids? You know? Uh, but the interesting thing is that it didn't spend a lot of the movie reveling in that. No. And it didn't do the whole thing of like, you know, oh, here's how I'm screwing this up. Here's how I'm screwing this up. Oh, look at dad mess everything up. It's like he had one night of not knowing how to handle everything and couldn't sleep and was like, no, I'm going to make sure that I do this right. So he actually like put the work into it. So, you know, that's one of the things I like about this movie is here's some Charlie footsteps for everybody. <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of carpet in the studio right now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No. Um, um, but, but what I like about this movie is that just when you think it's going to do one thing, it kind of does it the other way. Like what I thought that they did perfectly is that in all the trailers I saw, 90% of the footage in the trailers was within the first like 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. So whenever I saw the trailers, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, this will be all right. You know, I think I know where this is going. And it did kind of like twist you in a different way. Yeah. So whenever you think it's going to be about, you know, Elastigirl kicking ass and Mr. Incredible not doing, not doing good and just playing Mr. Mom, then it's like, oh, okay, no, she's still going to go kick ass, but he's going to actually figure this out and be, do a reasonable job of it. Like, you know, that's still an arc through the movie. Yeah. That he still has to figure things out, especially whenever it comes to Jack-Jack. Uh, which, I mean, he might be my, that might be some of my oh, favorite stuff in the movie. Yeah. Um, Lay down. Um. But, uh, but yeah, so like, you know, it kept me hooked to the whole way because even though like I kind of figured out halfway through the movie who the villain was going to be and, you know, I kind of, I kind of spent the whole movie waiting for what I wanted to happen. It still kind of kept me hooked along enough to where it didn't bother me when I wasn't getting what I wanted. Well, on the flip side too, we have to remember this was a children's medium. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, the kind of movie where we're like, that twist? This is a, this is a very interesting movie for us to start with, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's a movie that we love. Yeah. And when we talk about some of our favorite animated movies, mm -hmm. The Incredibles always comes up. Well, the first one's near perfect. I mean, anything Brad Bird does, yeah, though. Yeah, it's you know, great. I mean, both Incredibles movies, I mean, Ratatouille is better <laughs> than it has any right to be. Yeah. Uh, and you know my feelings on The Iron Giant. Yes. No, I'm a, I mean, it's just, it's, I'm a huge fan, fan, and anytime I can see Edna, mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about Edna, mm -hmm. um, and one segment that we're always going to have the show that is either inspired by our guest or by the movie, but today it's because it is summertime and we wanted something classic, we are having vodka cranberries. So cheers everybody, so if you're listening to this, take a break, if you're not driving, and make yourself uh, a vodka cranberry, this is uh, actually cranberry vodka and club soda. Yeah, we literally bought it mixed and just added club soda to it. Yeah. Because um, we're classy. And we will avoid labels, but if you send us a message, uh, we'll tell you what it was. Um, until we are sponsored, um, or we truly have a deep love of something. But let's talk about Edna. Yeah. Because we don't see Edna through most of the movie, and Elastigirl gets her suit by someone else, and I had this like panic moment that we weren't going to see Edna. Mm -hmm. And um, as this continues on, most of you will learn that I don't watch, I don't really watch trailers. 
Um, I miss most of them, so I don't ever, I very rarely go into a movie knowing what on earth it's going to be about. A lot of our life is me telling Jessica, oh my god, so I just saw this, she's just like, ha! Ah. Yeah, um, like even some of my favorite movies, I, uh, you know, I wait way too long. Like, I'm a huge fan of the Harry Potter series and Fantastic Beasts, and I don't think I've seen that new trailer. You have. Oh, I have? Yeah. See? Not helpful. They, they played it in Avengers, at least. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, to, so thinking of that, I didn't know if I was going to see Edna or not. And then, mm -hmm. he's got all these troubles with Jack-Jack, which we'll circle around yeah. to both of our favorite scenes. We're just going to kind of be all over the place on this. You guys can keep up. Yeah, but Edna, I loved her interaction with Jack-Jack when he turns into her. Mm-hmm. And she, like, falls deeply, madly in love with him. I mean, that's kind of what happens with babies in real life anyway, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we but, don't have kids, by the way. No. But I just, I just, and I kind of forgot that uh, Radford was her yeah. voice. Until I, I always thought it was Lily Tomlin, because that seems like somebody Lily Tomlin would do. Yeah, she'd be very good at it. Yeah, if it wasn't Brad Bird, I would want it. I would be disappointed if it wasn't Lily Tomlin. Oh my God. And the way that you like see her nose when mm -hmm. she, so when Mr. Incredible pulls in and you see her, the outline of her home, I was just like, oh, we're all saved. Well, it's weird because in the first movie, like Edna's one of the big things that people remember, and she has some some insanely quotable lines that obviously I can't quote right now but like she's really only in the movie for very very little now she has two scenes in the first one as opposed to one scene that she has in this one but uh I mean that's what I love about the way that this series this series of two films uh has used Edna so far is that it's enough to where you're never not excited that she's on screen but it could easily easily be something that gets old. Yeah. You know, it could have easily been Olaf from Frozen, you know? Yeah, but she is she is so poignant and she always saves the day. Mm -hmm. Like like when Elastigirl come goes to her and she's like, "What do you mean you've already made me a suit?" It's it's awesome. Like yeah. she she always saves the day and so when Mr. Incredible's having a lot of trouble with Jack-Jack, mm -hmm. I knew by bringing him to Edna, I was like, oh, everything's going to be okay. I, uh, I mean, that whole interaction kind of spawned one of my favorite memes I've seen about this movie, which I told you about in the theater, uh -huh. where it's a picture of Elastigirl uh, next to Edna, and it says, most people seem to want to be Elastigirl, the mom with the hot bod. I want to be Edna, the aunt with all the money. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I want to be the awesome aunt. Yeah. yeah. So let's circle around, because... This scene leads to Edna, which, yeah. who saves the day, who always saves the day, mm -hmm. um, is Jack-Jack and the Raccoon. That I could have watched, I mean, I'm sure that I probably can't, don't mean this literally, but I could have watched an entire movie of Jack-Jack <laughs> and the Raccoon. It was so good. <laughs> Just when it led up from when he's watching the TV show and drinking the bottle, just like any little kid does, and he... And they animated him like the perfect baby, too. I know, and they just and he just sees the, the robber with the mask, and he looks over at the raccoon, and he sees the robber, and he looks at the raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this perfect moment of, like, 
you know, uh, of, like, a learned behavior in a baby. Because, like, uh, it's kind of like karma on My Name is Earl. You know it doesn't really work that way, but when you see it in real life, you're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But, like, this is, like, learned behaviors. They're not this obvious, but you can see they act, they, like, animate it into his face, like, that's a bad guy. Yeah. That's a bad guy, and I gotta do something about this. <laughs> it's so good. And I love, um, I love any sort of discovery in acting choices in movies, and I think the best directors uh, make choices. Brad Bird, even in his Mission Impossible that he did. Yeah, you know? everybody makes choices. And he, he got a really bad rap on Tomorrowland, but, like, you know, he's such a good filmmaker. Yeah, but what I love as you, this, we get to discover Jack-Jack's powers mm -hmm. as he's discovering them. Like, yeah. I, all, I got scared his foot was going to get stuck in the, the glass, <laughs> yeah. and then it doesn't. And then he has this epic battle with this raccoon. I love how they had the raccoon, like, saying dastardly villain lines <laughs> in raccoon language, too. Like, as he's constantly escaping, you can see that he's like, I'll be back for you, Superman! Like, yeah. that type of thing. I love when he gets tangled in the chair. Yeah. And, and Jack Jack's on fire. I, I was on the chair. I was like, holy shit, they're gonna kill this raccoon. <laughs> I got so nervous. I was like, you can't kill a raccoon. I was like, you already you already had her eat the baby bow in the short oh in the beginning. Oh my god, I loved everybody's reaction. We're, we're gonna circle back around to bow at some point too. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was that was a really good short. Yeah. I knew it had to be some sort of metaphor because I was like, oh my god. I was like, it better be some sort of metaphor because this got really dark really fast. Yeah. But I, you know, Charlie, no, sit down. Sit down. This may or may not be in the final edit, who knows. Um, oh yeah, well we can circle around the bow real quick. Are we finished talking about Jack Jack and the raccoon? Do you have anything to add about Jack Jack and the raccoon? I mean, I just I just loved it so much. Like, again, I could have watched the whole movie of that. It, what it reminded me of it reminded me of like a really, really good, like, like, you know, the first scene in Roger Rabbit yes. where he's trying to save the baby from like the <laughs> knives and the toaster and all that stuff. It was like a perfect moment like that or like a really good Tom and Jerry or something like that. It, that's a really good. That's a good point. It was really classic. Yeah. And it was, and it was classically funny mm -hmm. and it was violent in very much that old Bugs Bunny way. Yeah. And, I mean, the fact that we both were like, oh my god, they're gonna kill the raccoon. <laughs> Did that shot of him flipping the chairs like <laughs> Michael Myers in that one Halloween movie? <laughs> it's really, really good. Well, you know, and that's what I like about that scene in particular, but, I mean, a lot of the humor in this movie, you know, in a lot of modern movies, and I'm as guilty about it as anybody, is that you kind of have to push things to the extreme, you know, for it to be funny, you know? It's like that movie, The Aristocrats. Uh, you know, if you guys ever saw that, I highly recommend it, but it is definitely not safe for work. Uh, but, like, one of the points that they make in that movie is that the joke itself doesn't work, and it's not funny, so it's a reflection of the times. And, uh, and so a lot of times in more modern comedies, 
you end up having to push things to the extreme, you know? And, like, I think they definitely did that with uh, with Reflux in this movie. That was a lot. I don't think I loved Reflux. No, I, I mean, but Reflux was there, like, to push the li- push the extremes of comedy in an animated movie, you know? Yeah, but just when you were very aware that it was the bottoms of his stomach lining. Yeah, yeah that he's just vomiting his fiery stomach lining at you. Uh, I, I wasn't down for that, but for so that having been said, a lot of the humor in this movie is very classic and very timeless, and they really embrace it, which is what I really like. And I mean, that's the whole style of it. Like the whole the whole thing seems to take place in the '60s with futuristic technology, and that's what I loved about the first one too. And it kind of has that Art Deco kind of style to it. Yeah, and it's it what it what's so comfortable about the Incredibles is it kind of harkens back to like the Rocketeer mm-hmm. you know to win space and things like that were super exciting and things like that were accepted and it felt what's so great about the Incredibles and the time period that they chose to set it in uh-huh. it feels familiar it feels it feels inspired it mm-hmm. feels like they're open to that kind of stuff. It's like what Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow wanted to be, you know? Yeah, and I think, I don't know, it's 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 nice. And it and now that's obviously technology that we are familiar and comfortable with, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't then. And, but, you know, to harken back that it's a kid's movie, you know, the first Incredibles, we were teenagers. Yeah. You know, that was... That were we dating when we saw that? Mm, I don't remember. I don't remember I don't either. Think we were, I think we were younger. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, and those of you who might care, Jessica and I have been together since we were like 17, because we're from the South, and that's just what you do. It is not. <laughs> that's weird. No, we're just high school, we're high school sweethearts. I'm cool with it. That's a happy story. Don't make it weird. It's not weird. We, I, I hope that we are like the hosts of Morning Joe without all the creepiness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the Incredibles on IMDb for. But but yeah, I mean. 2004. So no, we were in uh, middle school. No no no, we were dating in 2004. Oh my gosh, yes we were. What was our first date? Uh, it was 2004. No, what was the first movie we saw on our date? Uh, the Elf. Yep, that was 2003. Elf. Mm-hmm. Elf and then School of Rock. Yeah, so I don't. I remember seeing this with my family. I don't think we saw this. On I don't day, think we saw this. But together. we have watched this. We have watched the first Incredibles a lot together. Yes. Be, I mean that's just one of the regular staples in our house. You know. You know, like people come over and it's like, oh, there are those weird people watching children's movies while drinking beer. You know. <laughs> um. So what's something that you feel like? really makes the Incredibles just kind of stick. I mean, I just think the fact that it owns what it is, you know, like, uh, you know, and a good example would be, you remember the Brian Singer Superman movie? Uh, yes. Which I actually thought was better than a lot of people said that it was, you know? Sure. You know, I, I don't really have too much of a desire to watch it again, but I thought it was good. And it really... Something that also audiences should know is Jordan and I tend to like movies that other people don't like. So just yes, put your seatbelts on. <laughs> We're probably going to say that we liked a movie and you'd be like, really? And you're going to think, unsubscribe. Trust me. 
we're gonna talk about movies that are like probably bad and we are hoping to change your mind. Yeah. So anyway. And if you if you want to debate it with us, we are so happy to do that yeah. too. And there's certain things that we are we're bendable on. Yeah, I but I'm a hardcore believer that in one day I am fully allowed to watch Aguirre the Wrath of God immediately followed by Hot Tub Time Machine. Fair enough. Okay, what were you saying well, that makes the incredible so So to, going to the Brian Singer Superman uh, <laughs> okay. is that it really owned what it was. It wanted to be an old fashioned, you know, like Boy Scout kind of superhero movie mm -hmm. you know and it had the look of the original ones and things like that and it really owned that right you know it may not have translated as well because it was live action but you know with the first Incredibles and this one there is a vision of what they want it to be yeah and it is you know the art deco like you know world of tomorrow kind of animation you know and it's really fun it, it's great and they own that and they play within their rules on there to the point where whenever they introduce something like basically their equivalent of an iPad, you're just like, oh yeah, of course. Like, it doesn't feel anachronistic, and it doesn't feel like it's stuck in there to be like, and here's what the kids are doing nowadays. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, and I feel like um, it's something we all know, mm -hmm. like the Jetsons. Yeah. It feels futuristic without feeling um, fake. Yeah. Um, it feels familiar. And I think that's definitely something that you can get away with a lot more in animation. Now, there's there are some guys who I'm sure have... Sorry, that was a Charlie moment on the microphone. Uh, there are some guys who I'm sure can pull this off great, and I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Again, if you want to, if you want to give me any examples, you know, feel free to put them in. Uh, but, like, I think animation lends itself to that kind of blending of aesthetics, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of talking in circles on that. But it just kind of goes back to what I love about this movie is that it has a vision. It's like, this is mine. I own it. You know, I'm yeah. going, this is the sandbox that we're playing in. Get on board because I know what I'm doing and you're going to have a lot of fun. You know? Now, one thing that I did kind of, and this is, again, me watching this children's movie as an adult, but, you know, Pixar always prides themselves in being movies for everybody, so I think that this is a fair criticism that you can say, is that I thought that the first Incredibles, uh, it, it was a little darker. You know, I mean, they were straight up murdering superheroes for jokes, the whole no cape sequence, you know? Yeah. Uh, this one didn't have as much of that, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing, uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing, but I did kind of miss that little bit of edginess in there. Like, there were definitely moments of it, and especially, like, you know, when you see Elastigirl beat the crap out of Mr. Incredible, like, that was kind of a bummer. When you see them all in those glasses, yeah. hypnotized, and you know that no one's the allies of the kids. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, that was a very Spielberg moment there. Yeah. Yeah, and it did that great. And again, I'm not really saying that as a criticism, but just as an adult watching it, I missed the kind of the edginess that the first one had that this one doesn't yeah, quite have. I think that's a really good point because in the first one, you like run across laser beams skeleton. Mm. You, you know, uh, gazer beam, by the gazer way. Gazer beam. But you realize that the first movie is... And a lot of people have pointed this out, but beat for beat, it's kind of like a children's version of Watchmen, right? Yeah. Uh, 
and you know I don't have the things in front of me to really point out this, 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 and this. Go read Cracked.com if you want to. And seriously, you should just be reading Cracked.com anyway because there's a lot of cool stuff on there. But uh, but yeah, so like it definitely had that template that it was using, and it wasn't afraid to use it. Uh, yeah. And kind of go continue what you were gonna say. Well. Uh- I do what I do feel because I don't. I mean, I'm not a big Watchmen fan, mm-hmm. um, so it's not something that I I picked up on at all. Um, but in the second one, uh, I did feel when she was chasing after the train mm-hmm. that was a, I wasn't sure how she would succeed, and she you know she wasn't flawless in it, so that had me kind of at the edge of my seat. Yeah, but I think you're right. It didn't have the same danger mm-hmm. um because it kind of felt like a like it was under like the last girl had it under control yeah and i honestly thought i was i you know i kind of felt like you know the villain was who's gonna be the villain uh-huh. um they set it up that you know this was too easy for Elastigirl. Yeah. and to me that that was also something like gosh this is too easy like she keeps kind of winning and it, that kind of is what happened to Mr. Incredible in the first movie. Well, but Mr. Incredible screwed up a lot more. Like, you yeah. know, you know, and from the very first time you see Elastigirl before you realize that they're both on their way to their wedding, like Elastigirl is always, like they've always kind of, and it, it feels weird to call her Elastigirl, but I'm going to go with that and think that it's not offensive to call her girl because that's the name I mean, of the movie. She was such a super name and... Girls are always right, so... Right, yeah, that. Um, <laughs> but no, so, like, they've always... The Elastigirl's always been the one who's most in control. She was the one who uh, who caught the villain that Mr. Incredible was chasing in the very beginning. She was the one who was like, no, get, your, get yourself in gear because we're getting married and these are two lives that we have to balance. Right. She was the one who took to being in, uh, like, a normal person a lot easier. Uh, and she was the one who noticed in the first movie that there was something really wrong. You know, I mean, and that's another part about the edginess of the first movie is that it deals with murder. It deals with middle age, deals with getting fat and out of shape, which, you know, I deal with sometimes. Uh, it deals with infidelity because she thinks that he's having an affair. Yeah. And it does all that without blinking, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, like, for the first movie, they had to kind of sideline Elastigirl a little bit because... Because she is so much smarter than everybody else in these movies. I mean, think about it. She's the one who knows how to fly the jet. Well, when she comes in at the end and saves the day. Exactly. So in this movie, I mean, I mean, and I'll, I, I think they did the right thing by not just like rehashing the first one. It's like, oh, and here's Mister Incredible going off on his own again. But they, they already sidelined her for the first one, so they had to do something different. But because they already set up her character as being like so good at everything and just being like like super super mama bear is going to save the world uh they they did have to do it like that so having said all that out loud i'm willing to forgive them on the villain reveal for that yeah i can see that i and i I agree with you maybe this movie was a little safer Mm -hmm. um but on the flip side it had so many more fun story points with the family Mm -hmm. and i thought that the kids kind of coming and yeah kids came and saved the day and they really had to set them up so there wasn't as much time for, mm-hmm. like, truly... And this time, and I don't know, maybe, maybe safer isn't the right word, because maybe this is the right time for this movie. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of kids right now that don't feel accepted, and there's a lot of people right now being pushed to the outskirts, 
that maybe this was a movie for them. Mm-hmm. You know, gosh, this movie's probably been in production for a super long time, but... Yeah, I, I think I remember them saying, like, announcing it something like three or four years ago. Yeah. And, of course, by the time they announced it, they'd probably already done a lot of pre-pro on it. Yeah. But this was very fitting with the Me Too movement, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with people being separated from their families. Mm -hmm. You know. (laughs) They broke the law and they were separated from their children. Go figure. Go figure. I don't think that was remotely a part of it. I don't think that was on purpose, but I think this movie... Something worth saying, though. I think this movie... Can't, I think this movie did what it needed to do. It, I think you're right. The first one has more danger. But this one is a little bit more about role reversal. Mm-hmm. This one's a little bit more about growth. Like, you you can't be where you were when you start your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you can come... Or it's like the hero's journey we were talking about recently is... The hero goes through all of this stuff and goes back to their life as they were, but they are no longer who they were. Yeah. For those of you interested, that's the uh, that's the hero's journey that Dan Harmon uses. Uh, I I think I think he's credited with writing it that way. And for anybody who's a writer or filmmaker, or storyteller out there, I highly recommend checking out that graph because it seems like something that's so simple. But as soon as you start thinking about that last extra step where they actually he actually says. Uh, greatly changed. Uh, yeah. That's something that immediately makes you start thinking well, about things. Well, it's interesting to me because we think of Odysseus and Odysseus comes home. Mm-hmm. But for me, whenever I think of the Odyssey, I think of all those cr- that crazy journey that he goes through. Mm-hmm. But when I read the graph, which is it's literally in a circle with arrows, and the fact that they come in the he puts it so simply, they come back home mm-hmm. they go home but greatly changed and i kind of feel like that's something that this movie really accomplished mm-hmm. so maybe this one wasn't as dangerous yeah um or dark but it, i mean maybe you can only capture that once truly you know but that's also a different story yeah this this one was was touching on some really truthful things and, you know, you know, we don't have kids, but I would imagine, you know, stay-at-home Tad would need to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a mom struggling to understand common core math mm-hmm. and that you can stay up all night and you can figure it out because you are a superhero. And I think this celebrates it of being super and that if you have a super talent that you should go and do it. And I loved meeting more superheroes because mm-hmm. in the first movie you don't really get to meet other ones other than Frozone. Yeah. Um, and I love that we get to use Frozone more yeah. in this. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's almost, it's almost like a cheat code they used. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, you know? Yeah, but Frozone in this one has more of an arc as opposed to just showing up and being super. Yeah, they, they I mean, Frozone was pretty underutilized in the first movie because even as he was... In the climax of the first movie, as he was, uh, as he was, you know, doing his Frozone stuff. Icing. Yeah, yeah icing, that know. whole thing. I don't know this <laughs> I, I is smart. Um, <laughs> but they, they kind of showed him in the background. This time, he is an integral part of what, it, what is going on. And he's act, not only working with uh, Bob and Helen, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, but he's also actively working with the kids. And that's one thing that I loved how they did that is that he showed up like a family friend who's not just a friend of the dad because that's kind of how he was played 
in the first movie is like, oh, that's the dad's friend. And, you know, as a child, you would look at it, it was like, oh, that's my dad's friend. I don't see him no, too often. No, he was like Uncle Frozen. Yeah, he came and he was genuinely concerned for the kids. He was teaching them how to do things that they needed to know to survive. And he was making plans with the kids and trying to stop the Speed 2 moment <laughs> at the yeah. end of the movie. <laughs> I loved, by the way, his reaction to Jack-Jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say, everyone, if you don't, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, should I go see The Incredibles? Go see it. Go see it for nothing else than in the middle of the movie, you get to see Jack-Jack's reveal. Yeah. How awesome Jack-Jack is. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm a, maybe I'm just getting old and soft in my, uh, in my middle age. Uh, you're 31 years. Yeah, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but I'm kind of like a, I'm kind of like a sucker for a baby done right in a movie. Yeah. You know, not just like, not just the Olsen twins saying, you got it, dude. Uh, uh, according to John Oliver, there's only one Olsen twin. Yeah, John Oliver, I know you're listening. If you want to come and talk about this, you know, let's do it. <laughs> we'll go back and watch an Olsen twin movie. Yeah. <laughs> How the West was fun. And yes, I remember that title. Um, anyway... Uh, I'm a sucker for a baby done right in this movie. So, like, I was a sucker for, you know, where Bob is falling asleep reading the Jack-Jack and he smacks him in the mouth to wake him up because he's like, no, you're not done yet. Yeah. Um, Excuse me, you're not done yet. Uh, But that whole scene with Jack-Jack and the raccoon, I'm telling you, might be one of my favorite things I've seen all year. And I've liked almost every movie I've seen this year. I've been okay with most of the movies I've seen mm-hmm. this year. I, I think I've been more forgiving than you are. I think so. Yeah. Um, I will say, so Jordan and I tend to end up in very either rowdy movie theaters. Like we've, we have a, a, an we, interesting. We live in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is uh, just a very interesting place to live because it's not quite Atlanta, but it's not quite the ghetto either. Well, I, I, but also just to harken back to, uh, we spent a lot of time at the Cheap Theater in North Hollywood, California. Yep. And in Chicago, we watched Rob Zombie's Halloween with a with a toddler and no, an infant. It, it was a it was a baby young enough to still be in the carrier. Yeah. It was bad. So don't just hearken it to our audiences here. But what I will say is I got super excited because we were in a theater full of kids. Uh-huh. And at the end, uh, Jordan leans over to me and goes, that baby right there has zoomies. <laughs> For those of you who don't, uh, obviously many of you won't know us, and hopefully more and more you won't, but um, dog zoomies are something we're very familiar with. Um, we have two rescue dogs, and uh, one of them, Madison, uh, has severe zoomies, and zoomies are a buildup of energy that results in the incredible running a gauntlet of your home or your bed. You know, in a movie, like an action movie, where like a kid or Jamie Lee Curtis picks up a machine gun <laughs> and pulls the trigger and can't control where it's going, it's just like spraying bullets all over the place. Zoomies are like that, but with dog energy. But with dog energy, but apparently a baby had zoomies yeah. in the movie it was, theater. It was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And it, it was like the build up towards the end. So it was, it, you have to say it was really exciting because the amount of laughter mm-hmm. and like excitement of yeah. the theater was really, really fun. Everybody was into it. Everyone was into it. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like when we watched A Quiet Place and, like, people started laughing. Yeah. You know, they didn't take that moment serious. Um, or it's like, you know, when you're in a horror film, like we just saw um, 
Oh, what did we just see? Uh, Hereditary. Hereditary, and when she comes out of the shadows. Uh huh. And everybody just goes. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just awesome. That's why you still go see movies, kids. Yes, and so and the stunt double for uh, for Hereditary is Whitney Coleman, and I sent her a message saying. Yo, when you came out of the shadows, and I won't spoil this because I'm obviously not talking about this movie right now, but when you came out of the shadows, it scared the whole theater, and she was like, my work here is done. Um, <laughs> and, and she was doubling Tony Collette. That movie's great. Go see it if you like scary movies. But there's something to say about the audience experience. Yeah. And, you know, we would, that wouldn't have been as fun. No. Without and- the, the, the energy and this little kid laughs you know and when i was in my early 20s and you know because i didn't go to college but you know i still had my college age all my roommates were college uh, went to college and so you have the whole thing of like you know oh yes well these movies are great but have you seen pulp fiction like you get really high and mighty on things that like really aren't worth getting high and mighty about although pulp fiction is still a great movie yeah but um you know i would have been annoyed to go see a movie with a bunch of children uh because I would be like, no, I'm paying attention. I paid my money for this, you know? Right. But, like, I loved going to see it with all these kids in the theater, you know? Because because you forget, because it's a Pixar movie, and Pixar movies are more age-universal than a lot of them, you forget that it's not catered to you to as an adult. No. You know, it's catered to the children, and they just did it well enough to where, like, we could go see it instead of Jurassic World, you know? Right, and we can have a really good time. And I think more and more as performers and and filmmakers, we want audiences to react. We want them to feel. And I think one of my favorite memories that really makes me believe that is when we went and saw Rogue One. Mm-hmm. We went and saw Rogue One with some of our really good friends at the Chinese Theater and on Hollywood Boulevard. Which, if, if you've never done that, I highly recommend like seeing it in the main theater. Even if you live in L.A. and you try and avoid Hollywood and Highland like the plague. As you should. Yeah. Which uh, is your God-given right. Yeah, but like, you know... We all we never went to go see that a because it is expensive. It is a three D IMAX theater, so yes. you are going to pay twenty five bucks a ticket. It is really expensive, but to what was so incredible, we went and watched this movie, and we're all, you know the whole theater's filmmakers, so mm-hmm. everyone's taking. This is opening friends. weekend too. This is opening weekend of Rogue One, um, and our friend was like, "I've got these tickets. Let's just go." And we're like, "Okay," and we went. It was late. We both had to work, and it was like this whole thing. And, of course, Rogue One like, is one of my favorite Star Wars mm-hmm. in the canon. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Even and more than the Ewok adventure? Considering I haven't seen that. Okay, episode two. Oh, Jet- oh that one? No. no. What? No, no there's, a movie, there's a movie called the Ewok adventure. I'm, not, I'm busy on <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> um... Uh, but at the end, the credits dim, and everybody in the theater you can hear is like, "Whoa, what the?" Because that everyone's there to watch credits. We, if you're, and I highly recommend if you aren't someone who stays and watch watches for the credits, stay and watch the credits because those are our friends, those are us. Mm-hmm. You know, watch the credits, and it dims, and it was the lead actor and the director, right? and the cinematographer, and the cinematographer in the theater, and they were there. To watch us watch the movie. Yeah, this must have been like the 52nd time they've all seen this movie. Oh, probably. And 
They said, we watched you guys, and it reminded us why we worked so hard. One of my favorite things that the director said, and I can't wait till he does another movie. You know, I mean, again, you, we and I had this conversation that we do kind of think Disney is in a place where they're airing too much of their dirty laundry. Yeah. So people aren't really giving him the credit that they should be for Rogue One, you know, yeah. because of reshoots, reshoots, reshoots. Yeah, but every movie has reshoots. Right. But, uh... I can't wait to see what he does next. That was what I was going to say. But one of my favorite things he said for that was, you know, Star Wars isn't something you own. It's something that people let you borrow and let you put your stamp on and give it back to the world. And, like, you know, that sounds like something that, like, somebody would have written in their screenwriting 101 class. But to see him say that, and if you saw the look on his face and heard the inflection in his voice... That's something that he genuinely believed because he got to be a part of something that everybody dreams of being a part oh of Star God. Wars. E even if you're not in the film industry and you're not a filmmaker, you're not that kind of storyteller, you know, everybody grows up doing... Oh, yeah. And the fact that he said, we gave it, we gave it back to you guys. Yeah. Here, have it back. I mean, I took a video, and if you go deep onto my Instagram, <laughs> you'll find that video, and I was openly weeping. Because I, you forget that's why you do this. You, yeah. you don't make a movie to keep it. Mm -hmm. You make, you tell stories because you want to share it. And to have the director look at everybody and go, I give it back. Mm -hmm. Here you go. I did this for you. So I think as we continue to grow as filmmakers, that's something that's so, you know, even in this animated movie, we got to experience. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that was a movie. It was a movie that radiated love, you know, and, and not only from a story standpoint, because obviously it's a family movie. The family loves each other. They love their friends. They understand that their friends, you know, of course, this is a plot point where, you know, people were under mind control, but they understand that their friends screw up and they still welcome them back into the fold. Yeah. You know, but this is a movie that was done. You can tell that Brad Bird loves this movie. Yeah. You can tell that the people who are working at Pixar loved working on this. You can tell that the people who work, the sound designer at Skywalker Sound, which The Incredibles also always has great sound design. Their too. sound design yeah. is so good. And then you can tell, you know, especially me as a composer, the first thing I'm always like, oh, did I like the music or not? <laughs> but I mean, of course, it's Michael Giacchino. You're going to love that music. Yeah. Uh, he's only ever done one thing that I wasn't crazy about, and I'm not going to say that now because overall, as far as I'm concerned, Michael Giacchino is pretty much he pretty much bats a thousand. Yeah. Uh, but you could tell that you know the first Incredibles movie it was very orchestral and very you know driving and sweeping. You could tell this time he was like, I want to go back to the, all the James Bond isms I touched on the first yeah, time. Yeah, it was, and it was a love of music from movies from that era. Yeah, it was. It was just fun. It felt familiar, but new. I don't know. I had a, I guess, uh, I guess I would give it a five out of five stars. Totally. What would you give it on, on a Rotten Tomatoes scale? I mean, on a Rotten Tomatoes scale, there isn't too much that I have on a criticism on this movie. You know, the, the main thing being, I wish it was a little darker. Uh, there's a part of me that still would have loved to have seen uh, the family working together more because because I was waiting for that to happen. But then again, that's that's my problem, not the movies. Because I, I felt there was plenty yeah. of 
family teamwork. Yeah. And reflux, it was a great joke whenever he said it, but as soon as I saw it, I regretted that that was in the movie. <laughs> I know. But I, know. I will say, the like when you first meet reflux, it was like, all right, that's fucking funny. It you was know? so funny. Yeah. And you think, oh, he's going to do it, and he does it, and then he does it, and you're like, And you immediately no, regret it? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I can imagine being eight and thinking that's yeah hysterical but i guess for those of us who've ever had acid reflux <laughs> i woke up with it the other night and <laughs> you're just like no mm-hmm. no why would you put that poor old man through that as a super thing and the way that they animated that too it like was- i was expecting them to animate it like lava but no they animated that like vomit that was on fire <laughs> it was vomit on fire like and and i say that as a simultaneous praise and criticism you <laughs> yeah. know <laughs> So on, so vomit on fire. I guess it's time for us to wrap up. Yeah, I to go back to your question. If I was going to rotten tomatoes this thing, I'd probably give it like a ninety six or ninety seven. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is, uh, if you've already seen it and you loved Incredibles two, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we should go and you know watch the first one and yeah, and kind of have a part two to this conversation maybe. Um, but let us know what you think. Yeah. And... I will say that, you know, we don't buy every movie anymore because obviously, you know, we stream a lot of stuff, but we still buy movies, you know, and I can see this one being one that we buy. Yeah. I think this is a, a good library for us, but also a library for um, our future family because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is one that I hope to share. Now, before we wrap up, uh, we did promise that we'd talk about Bao a little bit and we still haven't. Gosh. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Bao. Um, God, who doesn't love a Pixar short? The Pixar shorts are, like, a good friend of mine, another composer in L.A., uh, I saw him post on his Facebook that, you know, leave it to Pixar to have the short be better than the movie. You know, I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that. Yeah. But the fact that I had to sit there and think about it before I came to my own conclusion when I remembered that says something about it. I mean, Bao was great. Uh... I was immediately, at first, I was immediately turned off because, you know, she takes a bite into the bun and it cries like a baby. I'm like, oh, thanks, Pixar. Another thing I have to feel bad. Oh, yeah, by the way, so I had a lot of friends. What was that? Sausage Party? Yeah. To all of my wonderful friends um, from Watchdown Films and Never Hike Alone, there's a lot of you that worked on Sausage Party. I'm so proud of you. I'm never going to see that. We don't eat a lot of animal product because of... Mm-hmm. reasons and when she bit into that i was like oh now we can't eat steamed buns right not even the veggie ones not even the veggie ones but what i will say is as soon as she did that i thought okay this has to mean something because the husband just like engorfs mm-hmm. these buns and so you think like oh engorfs i just made that word up New title of the podcast. Welcome to Engorf with Jordan and Jessica Bennett. <laughs> Engorge. So I knew that there had to be something and that, you know, um, I'm a big believer that food food connects us all. You know, I think one of my gifts is feeding people. And um, I thought, okay, this has to connect something. But you kind of get wrapped up that it's like this walking top talking steamed bun yeah you at first start to think of it as figurative then you go through the whole thing and take it literally and then whenever it becomes figurative again and it makes sense uh like you're just totally wrapped up in it like i thought i thought it was great i did not have any complaints about that once i realized i didn't have to feel guilty about eating food 
Um, I thought I thought it was great. I don't think it. I don't think it's necessarily my favorite one I've ever seen, but I do think it was a near perfect Pixar short. Well, and when the sun comes back, mm-hmm. you like the oh. oh. One thing I will say I liked about that, and you know, maybe this is just me as a guy and as the husband in a relationship. You know, I'm always very. I'm always very aware whenever they have the husband be like the crotchety old husband or, you know, the guy who can't do anything right, doesn't know how to vacuum the floors or anything like that. Because, you know, that's an insecurity that I'm sure that I, as myself as a husband, and a lot of other guys I'm sure probably feel. Uh, And whenever the husband in the beginning of the movie just ate it and then like patted her on the shoulder and said goodbye, I was like, oh, great, there's that. Then at the end, when the sun comes back, and she doesn't want to see him. And before the son leaves, the husband shoves him in there and slams the door. It's like, oh no, this is a fully three-dimensional family right here. It is. Yeah. And it's... And and the fact that the white, the son's white wife wasn't portrayed as like the homewrecker or anything like that. Like, but she made the bun better than he did. Yeah. And, and that's what I thought was great. And, you know, again, that's something that we're very sensitive about right now, just with everything that's going on. And, you know coming back to an area where, which isn't always as progressive as the place where we left, you know, and I have to hear people say a lot of racially insensitive things all the time that bother me, you know? Yeah. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with mixed marriages, you know? So I like the fact that it was this fully three-dimensional family. It was a husband who, even though he was watching TV when they were all making buns, he was still involved, you know? It was the son who who wanted to make amends with his mother. It was the mother who just wanted to hug her little boy again. And it was the son's wife who wanted to be a full-fledged member of the family and be like, yes, this is what I want to do. So I thought that was great. I think I may be making myself like it more than I thought. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then they eat the little sticky buns together, and mm-hmm. which, like, I believe those are like red bean buns. Yeah. And those are so insanely delicious and wonderful. <laughs> One little side thing I want to say on that, though, it, uh, just just about, not necessarily about the red bean buns, uh, but whenever they're doing the credits, and, you know, Pixar likes to do a lot of the hand-drawn pictures in the credits. I don't know if you noticed this, but they didn't do one about the walking, talking bun. Oh. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting because it brought it back to the story's not about a walking, talking bun. It's not about Pixar, uh, Pixar anthropomorphizing. Is that is that how you say that word? Anthropomorphizing. What she said. It's not about them doing that to a piece of food. It's about the story that it ends as, and they're not looking back on there. So I can't remember the filmmaker's name, but I really hope to see them do a lot more in the future. I agree. It was, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was really awesome. One other thing I wanted to mention about The Incredibles too, though. Okay. Uh, just in, because, you know, the conversation has touched on, you know, the current climate a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, obviously, John Lasseter not being the kindly old uncle that we all thought he was, you know, being very inappropriate with the people at Pixar. And I don't know if you guys have read the, uh, as of today, July 1st, a couple of days ago, there was an article written about a woman who worked at Pixar and was talking about things that she dealt with. And it was just really disgusting. Uh it's a shame that that kind of that shadow is kind of on this movie like whenever i saw it executive produced by john lasseter i kind of felt a little twinge of something yeah and there was also the moment at the end of the movie where uh the villain gets put in jail and violet says yeah except that she's super rich so so she'll just get off with a slap on the wrist 
all I could think about was John Lasseter there. Yeah, when sh- when Violet said that, I it it took my breath away. Yeah. Because that's something that continues continues and continues and continues. And I would like to know when that was put into the movie, too. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a reaction to anything because, I mean, it was a solid joke and Violet as a character, it makes sense that she would say that. But I don't... But I also don't think it was purposeless. And no. I believe... They could have easily taken that out. That the movie would have been fine without it. Yeah. But I believe it was poignant with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, slow clap... For that, um, obviously, you can by the first this first pod, podcast alone, you can kind of see where we lean in this house, um, and it's for the rights of love and the rights of people. And um, I think I think Pixar did the right thing in in changing their leadership. Yeah, I and you know everything I ever read about Pete Doctor is a stand-up guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's made some great movies. I mean, he made Up. Or he, yeah. I mean, a lot of people make these movies, but you know, Pete Doctor, he's made some great movies with Pixar. Uh, I hear really good things about him. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with Pixar, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing Pixar come out of this shadow that they're currently in because they do make great movies. You know, I haven't seen a lot of the last few Pixar movies. You know, I didn't see Finding Dory, didn't see The Good Dinosaur, haven't seen Coco, uh, but that's not because I don't want to see them. It's just we'll remedy it. We'll remedy that. Please don't annihilate us on social media. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. John Oliver, I'm talking to you. Yes. But, you know, I guess I'm really glad that we may be back on the Pixar spree. Yeah, I, I'm totally down to get on board with Pixar again like I always did. Yeah. So that being said, um, let's raise a glass to the very first date night at the movies mm-hmm. or... What I do with my babysitter money? Is, it, is that what we're called? How I spent my babysitter money. Okay. By the way, that part was my idea, and purely just because if you can make a Stanley Kubrick reference, why not do it? So, welcome to our podcast. I hope you really enjoyed our first um, chat about The Incredibles 2. Um, I don't know what movie's next. I think it's going to be Jurassic World. Yeah, we'll probably see Jurassic World when I get back from L.A. Yeah. Um, um, I, j- we really wanted to start this with Annihilation. Yeah. But maybe we'll circle back. Uh, we're actually going to try to listen to the book and then rewatch the movie. I think that's something we should do. Um, we were also going to try to do this for Oscar season, but mm. we work. We're, so. we're going to find another one to get our uh, our creature friend on. Too. Yes. So um, I'm Jessica. I'm Jordan. And this is Date Night of the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. And the That's going to be a joke that gets really old fast, I think. I, from now on, we'll probably just say Date Night at the Movies, and then you will have it in the title, you know? Okay. Should we record that? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, and the little tiny footsteps you've heard are Charlie. The Barks are Madison. This is recorded live in Stone Mountain, Georgia, in our home studio. You can check out um, our post-sound production at jabenmusic, J-A-B-E-N, music.com. You can find me, Jessica, at Jessica E. Bennett. You can find Jordan at uh, jabenmusic at all the social media sites. And you can follow us at date night underscore at the movies on Instagram and We're so excited to be on this journey with you guys. Cheers, raise your glass, and take a sip of your cranberry vodka if you're joining us with us. Uh, You know, streaming, live, I don't know. Well, at one point this was live. I don't know when you're listening to it. It's live in your moment. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Um, please make sure to su subscribe. You can subscribe us, tweet, share. We're gonna have a Twitter here soon. Rate us. Tell even if you hated it, we accept. Uh, we accept perfectly valid uh, constructive criticism. And if we don't like it, we will rip you mercilessly. Yes, and all of our original music is thanks to Jordan Bennett. Because um, who else are we gonna get to do it? <laughs> and I'm cheap. <laughs> but also, thank you so much for providing us with original content. And um, thanks so much. And see you next time. Have a good night, guys.